Father God, we are always privileged to be able to open your word and allow us, allow you to breathe on us. Would you help us, Heavenly Father, to see that simultaneous strength and beauty of your word and just this idea of restoration. Open our eyes like never before. Even if we read this book a million times, allow us to see the precious gems of truth, Lord God, of restoration. Lord God, show us doctrine, show us reproof, uh, correction, instruction, and righteousness so that we would be thoroughly furnished for every good work. Lord God, we just look forward to spending time with you now. Allow it to be a demonstration of your spirit through the simplicity of the preaching of your gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. The dictionary defines restoration as the action of returning something to its original condition. And all of us know by experience that when you see something that is truly restored, it's, it's a beautiful thing. A, a classic car. Any gearheads in here that have worked on a classic car before? A, an antique piece of furniture. A, a historic building. You see something that was torn down and all of a sudden is built back up. There's an there's a element of beauty and attractiveness to this. Unsurprisingly, when we read the scripture, we learn that God is in the business of restoration. Psalm chapter 23, verses 1 through 3 says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the still water. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Or again, Psalm 30, verses 2 through 5, O Lord my God. I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. Oh, Lord, you have brought my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. God is a God of restoration. And unsurprisingly, as you read through the scripture... It becomes clear that God not only restores, that is, he doesn't just bring something back to its original state. He actually improves. Or if I could put it very simply, the Lord is the God of restoration and the God of elevation. The Lord is the God of restoration and the God of elevation. You sure about that? I am. So I want to just kind of borrow from one of the examples that you gave about a classic car. Consider for just a moment what happens when someone really restores a classic automobile. You find this vehicle that probably in its heyday may have been worth, I don't know, $5,500, and then you find it in some, uh, I don't know, maybe a junkyard or a storage unit. It's all dilapidated and it's broken down. None of its former glory is there, just a shell of what it used to be. What does the restorer do? The restorer doesn't see the vehicle just as it is, but as it should be and as it could be. And so that restorer will take that vehicle and he'll go through and painstakingly apply meaningful repairs to every stitch and inch of that vehicle. Now he doesn't take a 55 Chevrolet and raise it up and put it on 20s. What does he do? He takes it and he finds out the original paint color, the original windshield, all of the original elements of that vehicle, and he goes through each and every detail to not just bring it back to a nice look, but its former glory. But then what happens when that vehicle that maybe used to be worth $5,500 gets totally and completely restored to its original form and function? In today's economy, it becomes worth $55,000 or even more. And that's what God does even in our lives. He finds us, regardless of how broken down our lives may be, and he restores us to our original form and function with painstaking repairs and not just cheap fixes and modifications. Because he is not only the God who restores, or who specializes in restoration, but also elevation. That's the kind of God that we serve. 
And maybe nowhere is that work of God seen more clearly in the Bible than in the book of Ruth. If you're familiar with the story, I mean, you have a family in that, in that book that basically loses everything. Uh, Naomi and her family leave their country. And when they get to Moab, the husband died. And soon, her sons died. She is left all by herself, and she has lost everything, including her sense of hope. Naomi says it herself in Ruth chapter 1, verse number 20. Do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. However, fortunately for us, the story does not end there. Four chapters later, you get to the end of the story, and there is great rejoicing and celebration because all of this brokenness has somehow been restored and made even better. In fact, when you get to the end of the story, here is what Naomi's neighbors are saying about her. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. What a transformation. So you went away from bitterness and you came back transformed where people are rejoicing in you. What happened? From chapter 1 to chapter 4, what was the change? And here's the answer, church. God got involved. The Lord got involved in Naomi's story and he brought unprecedented restoration. This reminds us of an extremely important theological reality, namely this. God is able to bring beauty out of brokenness. And look, that's a message we all need to hear, is it not? Anybody got any brokenness in their lives today? Anybody got any situations in their life that feel beyond recovery? Anybody got relationships that seem like they cannot be mended? Anybody feel far from the Lord this morning? Here is the good news for all of us. Our Lord, the God of the Bible, the God of Scripture, the God of Ruth and Naomi is our God today. And he is a God that is capable of bringing beauty out of brokenness. Which leads to the point this morning. We must trust. We must trust that our God is the God of restoration. I want to encourage you, as Rod and I talked about this, we said, where do we want people to land? Well, we want everybody walking out of this room this morning with this deep sense of hope in their heart that says this, I can trust. I can trust. I can put confidence in my God that he is the God of restoration. Because this is the reality, um, there, there are times when all of us need that, and that is today. And the good news for all of us is the God that was active in this book is active in our lives today. And what Rod and I want to do in the next few minutes is give you a glimpse of this God. Who is this God of restoration that you should trust? So we want to share three things about the character of God that we learn in the story of Ruth that will help you to put your confidence in them. So take it away, Rod. Tell us about the God who restores. Well, first and foremost, the God who restores is a God who is strong. A God who is strong. We're going to look at the story of Ruth in just a moment, and I'm going to just give some attention to chapter 1. But when I think about God who is strong, we often don't think of it as strength until we see our lives really at their greatest point of distress. And I'll say that. God's strength is best illustrated in our lives when we see ourselves at our deepest sense of distress. Let me give you some examples. Ruth, as we've already talked about it, or Naomi also, experiences the loss of her husband, the loss of her children, and essentially even the loss of her hope. 
I want you to think about Naomi as a participant in the Abrahamic covenant that was a promise that families would be, would be, would blossom and grow and have many, many children, and they would be a blessing to subsequent generations. Well, here it is, both of her children and her husband have been taken away. And then she even says that it is the Lord's hand that has gone out against me. So she lost her husband, she lost her children, she lost her hope. She even lost her ability to see herself favorably because she told the townswomen not to refer to me as Naomi, but call me Mara because my life is now bitter. But interestingly enough, amid these, all of these deep distresses in her life, she still is able to see a glimpse of God's strength. She may not see it yet, but you and I can see it by looking at Ruth chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. Look at the scriptures. It says, and she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back. After she tries to tell the two, the two daughter-in-laws to go back, go back to your town. I'm a broken woman, and I'm going to go back to my town. And, and, and Ruth refuses to go. But she says, and see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. For your people shall become my people, and your God shall become my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she could say no more. You see, in this moment, brothers and sisters, Naomi's uh, return represents a heart that is moving toward repentance. They're leaving Moab, a place where the whole family should have never been, and reorienting their heart back to Bethlehem, or to where God called them to be originally. And as she makes that decision to reorient her heart toward God, what does God do in the person of Ruth, whose name literally means friend? Now, this is interesting that, that Ruth's name means friend, and she doesn't just stay with her, she clings to her. Mm. And because she clings to her, Ruth's friendship is illustrative of even God's friendship. God is married to the backslider, according to Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 14. God is a, Jesus is the friend of sinners, uh, according to John chapter 15, verse 13. And his love clings to his people, according to the apostle Paul's own testimony, in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. While the same hand that Naomi, Naomi says went out against her is now becoming the same hand that will undeniably and beautifully grip and restore her. God clings to his people and he shows great strength even when we experience our greatest distress. You yeah. believe that? I do believe that. Well, come on in. Okay, all right. <laughs> I just I'm getting a little preachy there, brother. Preachy? That's what we do. That's okay, the, that all right, thing all right, is called. Right. <laughs> Not only do we see the Lord's strength in the book of Ruth, but we also see that the Lord is gracious. As Rod just shared with us, Ruth and Naomi found themselves in an extremely difficult situation. I mean, the deck was against them at this point. In fact, their circumstances were so bleak that without some sort of outside intervention, they were essentially hopeless. In this situation, no amount of good old-fashioned grit, no amount of determination were sufficient. What they needed was a rescuer. They could not rescue themselves. And by God's grace, that's exactly what they got in Boaz. 
When Boaz shows up on the scene, the first thing that he does is he meets the physical and financial needs of Ruth and Naomi. When Ruth went to gather in his field, Boaz essentially says, hey, to his workers, don't touch her. Let her get whatever she wants. She comes home with a big old basket full of grain, plops it on the kitchen table, and Naomi says, hey, daughter-in-law, where were you gleaning today? Or as I would say, where you been? Where you been? That's good, yeah. <laughs> and here's what Naomi says. Wait, uh, she says to Ruth, where did you glean today and where have you worked Blessed be the man who, notice this, who took notice of you. Naomi and Ruth were at the end of their rope, and Boaz took notice. And then Boaz leveled up when he learns that who Naomi is and who Ruth is, and that he was a kinsman redeemer, and he could restore all that they had lost by marrying Ruth, with whom, as you read through the book, there's a little bit of romance going on there. I mean, it's, it's pretty syrupy here at moments. Yeah. He would not be stopped. He finds out that he can help. He finds out he can step in. And there is nothing that can deter Boaz from his course of action. I love the way Naomi puts it in Ruth chapter 3, verse number 16. Wait, my daughter, until you learn how this matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. And that's exactly what Boaz did. When Ruth and Naomi were helpless, he helped. But here's a reality. Isn't that true of all of us? Thankfully, God does not wait until we get our act together. Until our outlook is improved. Until our prospects look bright to come to our aid. Friends, God comes towards us when we cannot come toward him. For I could put it another way, God moves towards us when we are out of moves. You ever been out of moves? Are you out of moves today? Here's the good news. The God who restore comes towards us. He doesn't wait for us to find him. He comes and finds us. I love the old hymn, Come Ye Sinners Poor and Needy. Anybody know that? Here's what it says. Listen to this line. Come ye sinners poor and needy, not of fitness fondly dream. In other words, don't dream of being, having all your stuff together. Then the next line is this. All the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. All that God requires for him to come to your aid is for you to know that you need it. You can put your trust in God because he delivers the needy when he calls. He delivers the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. Look, it would not be good news if our Lord was just strong. But our Lord is strong and our God is gracious. So this strong God comes to the help of those who need him. Bring us home, brother. Amen. What you waiting for? What? Come on, get up I'm, here. I'm, I, was right, up. I was up. I was up. Amen. But not only is he strong and is he gracious, but he is also something else. He is incredibly generous. If you know anything about the story of Ruth and this great engagement between uh, Ruth and Boaz, here it is Boaz, right? Uh, obviously, he's got feelings for Ruth, but there's something else going on that the Scriptures want us to see. Not just a burgeoning romance, but also some illustration of God's great generosity toward his people. 
When you think about this, in, in just some of the opening verses there where Boaz is having this encounter, he models this beautiful portrait as a redeemer. And if you know anything about the Old Testament, the kinsman redeemer is that there was a, a near relative who has the assignment of redeeming those who have been impacted by, uh, by death or becoming widows. And so Boaz sees himself in this way. But Boaz in his conversation with Ruth says, listen, there is a redeemer that is nearer to you than I am. And there needs to, we need to know, I don't know if I'm going to be able to redeem you or not. And so Boaz goes and has a conversation at the town gate with this other redeemer and says, hey, if you're going to redeem Naomi and the, and the land and that property, you got to take it all. You can't just get the land. And the other redeemer backed out and said, I just wanted the property. I can't impugn my own inheritance by taking on a whole family but not Boaz. Boaz says, I want the whole thing. I'll redeem the entire family name so that they are not wiped off the family of the face of the earth. I'm not only in love with the land, but I'm in love with the people. I'm in love with the person of Ruth, and I want to honor Elimelech, and I want to also uh, redeem the life of Naomi. And so what does Boaz show us about God and his generosity? Is that there is no cost that he won't pay and no risk that he won't take. Mm. There is no past that you bring to the table. There is no baggage you bring to the table, no former relationship that God views and says, if I get involved with redeeming this person, it's going to be a commercial risk. The optics won't look right. People will have questions about Christianity and say, ooh, I can't believe he redeemed that kind of person. That is not the conversation of God toward his people. There is nothing that you could bring to the table that would scare God from his desire to want to redeem, his desire to fully commit and redeem. As a matter of fact, the grittier the story, maybe the greater the glory that there is for God in this. But also there's something else I want us to see in the great generosity of God that is not only shown through Boaz. But listen to this. Ruth the Moabite becomes an Israelite. That isn't just a catchy phrase, it's this. There's a great biblical truth on the surface of the text, and that is God in his generosity gives us not only what we need, but more than we thought we could ever have. Mm. God, in his generosity, gives us not only what we need, but more than we thought we could ever have or qualify for. Ruth was born into a family, a Moabite family that was on the outside of the fences of Israel. There's no way that she should ever qualify to become an Israelite and have access to the covenant promises of God's own people. But here it is that through Boaz and through the hand of God, the Moabite will now become an Israelite. But not only that, in verses 14 through 17, we see later that Mara, the bitter, empty widow, will not just have her name changed to Naomi, but Mara, the bitter, empty widow, will now become a full and fruitful grandmother, more than she thought she could ever have. But there's more to the story. This family, Elimelech's family, who had wandered away from Bethlehem, the house of bread, who had gone off and not done God's will who lost his life and also his children's. Their lives were completely, totally cut off. Their heritage in God was that the name of Elimelech and his family, we would not know because they were about to be wiped off the face of the earth. The only reason that we know who Elimelech is, the only reason that we know who Ruth is, that we know who Naomi is, that we know anything about this family is because God took a family who was almost cut off from the face of the earth and made them one of the most famous families on the face of the earth. Because if you read through the, the genealogy that came out of the child that Ruth and Boaz are going to have, his name is Obed, and that's David's grandfather. Mm. And guess what? That means also Ruth and Naomi and Obed are now in the genealogy of Jesus. 
All this from a family that was about to be totally and completely wiped off the pages of history. Now one of the most famous families of all time being preached about in Avondale Estates. This is the kind of God that you serve, who can not only give what you need, but give you more than you thought you could ever have. Amen. I yield the remainder of my time to the senator from Illinois. (laughs) I mean, we've heard that the Lord is strong and he's gracious and he's generous. But this is not just a beautiful story in the Bible. It's all of our story, is it not? Here's the reality. We all need restoration in our lives. For we all have brokenness that we long for God to meet. So here's the good news. If you are powerless, if you're at the end of your rope... If you're on your last leg, if you are unsure of the future, if you are out of moves or without any strength, good. Because that is exactly the type of people whom God delights to restore. You might have heard the old expression, God helps those who help themselves. But the truth is actually this, God helps those who cannot help themselves. Romans 5, verse number 6, for while we were helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. But God proves his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, God sent his son, the greatest kinsman redeemer, into the world, not just to save us from famine or poverty. Jesus came to redeem us from all of our brokenness and all of our sin and bring us back to God. If you're broken, bring it to Jesus because he is the master of fixing messed up people. You know, after World War II, Europe was an absolute mess particularly England, because it had been bombed to no end. But after all of that happened, there is a particular weed that grew in England, and it was called the fireweed. Well, fireweed is this lovely pink little flowering plant that grows up among all the burnt-out ruins of life. And it simply reminds us this. That with God, with the God who restores, no matter how burnt out our lives may feel, no matter how broken down and messed up we may have made of our lives, there is hope because God is the God who restores. He has the power to bring beauty out of ashes. He has the power to bend any brokenness and sin in your life. Look. I want you to walk away with this simple statement. The hope in Christ is always, 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 always greater than the hopelessness in us. Always. Our God wins. Mercy triumphs. Grace defeats sin. The end of the story is a happy ending. We are not in a tragedy. We are in a comedy. That is, the inward goes up because Christ came and he lived the life we should have lived and he died the death we should have died and he rose victoriously over every enemy that would dare raise his head against us because we are his people. He is the restorer. So friends, I want to urge you to put your hope in him. 
I want to do two things as we conclude this morning, very simply. I want to ask you to participate with us this morning. I want you to have two horizons. I want you to look back, and I want you to look ahead. Would you take just a moment right now, and would you look back in your life and think of at least one way where God has shown up to restore you in the past? Can you think of that? Think of one way in your life where God has shown up to restore you in the past. Everybody got something in their mind? Very good. Now I want you to turn your attention towards the future. What is one way you would like God to show up in the future? To show his restoring power in your life right now. Maybe it's tomorrow. Maybe it's in 10 years. But you're saying, Lord, you've shown up in the past. I want you to show up again in the future and show that you are the God of restoration. You got something in your mind? Because I'm going to ask us to do two things as we conclude. First thing is this. I'm going to ask you to share. Would you just take a minute and share either one or both of those things with someone sitting around you? I'm going to give you just a minute here to talk with someone around you. I want you to share. And then secondly, I want you to sing. One of the reasons that we sing in the church is not just to fill time or give time for the choir to get down. The reason is we sing is because we need to remind ourselves of who our God is. So I want you to share for a moment, and then we're going to sing together in worship to the Lord as we conclude. Everybody got it? So look back, look ahead, share one way or two ways with somebody sitting by you how you would like God to show up or how he has showed up in your life. Take about 60 seconds right now to talk with someone around you. Go. That's a beautiful sound. Let's uh, go before the Lord. I hate to interrupt you. Father God, as we collectively look back at your historic, strong, generous, and gracious, restorative power, and think about what you've done in our past, we thank you, Lord God, for that memory. We thank you not only for its beauty, but we thank you for its strength and how it encourages us to be able to look forward into our future. And Lord God, even as we've heard your word today, would you stir in us fresh hope and as we give as we as we target a very particular area of our life where we would love to see your work oh god would you allow the truths of today's message to come fully alive in our hearts infusing us with hope and faith like we've never had before or rejuvenating restoring our faith lord god not just to its former glory but to a but to an even higher level than it's ever been before lord god would you restore our faith as we even talk with each other about how we want to see you work in our lives Lord God, we need you. This work that we're asking is a work that only you can do. It's not going to come because of great words or great ideas or even a well-preached message. It'll only come because, Lord God, the words that are of truth will take root in our heart and produce fruit unto unri- to, to righteousness. Lord God, would you be with us now as we look toward you and your great work in the future? And Lord God, as we think about all of it, all your work, Would you now, Lord God, just enable us to worship you in spirit and in truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship him.